So what are we to do with Joseph? Now, I'm not talking about the Old Testament Joseph, the young man with the multicoloured coat. I'm talking about the New Testament Joseph, the nativity figure that we have alongside Mary and the baby Jesus. What are we to do with that Joseph? Now, some of you may know exactly what to do with Joseph if he is a figurine made of plastic and about 10 to 15 centimetres high. And you can use such a Joseph to sell a property. You notice the Joseph up there on the screen. In his left hand, he has a toolbox, and on the right, he has a saw. And so if you want to sell a property, this is how it works. You go on to Amazon, and for $6.49, you can buy this set. And there's a little Joseph and the set of instructions. The instructions are basic. You bury Joseph in the backyard of the property you want to sell, and it's guaranteed to sell. It will help you sell. You dig a hole, you pop him in, cover him up, and your house will sell. Why? Because Joseph was a carpenter, and carpenters build houses, and so that's obvious, really, isn't it? After mentioning this in a sermon, a minister received a letter. The, the minister was Andy Stanley. You may have heard of him. He's well-known and well-regarded. But the letter went like this. Dear Minister, I was reminded in your sermon about my wife using St. Joseph, the patron saint of real estate, to sell our holiday home. The only St. Joseph she could find was a nativity figure holding the baby Jesus. Now, I did not want to bury the baby Jesus in the backyard of our holiday home, but she did. And she credits the selling of that house to St. Joseph, though for me it took ages to sell the house. In fact, it took so long that she forgot where she'd buried Joseph because the instructions said that when the house sells, you were to dig up the Joseph and take him with you. Now, she had no idea where she'd buried Joseph and the baby Jesus, so she was on her hands and knees in the backyard and the neighbour across the fence was chatting and he said, "'What's your wife doing?' So I said, well, she's looking for Jesus. What do you do with Joseph? Putting aside foolish superstition. Because unlike the wise men seeking and the shepherds watching, unlike the angels declaring and the lovely Mary giving birth, Joseph, doesn't he often slip under the radar? When's the last time you heard a sermon about Joseph? So today we're going to see that Joseph is more than an extra in our nativity sets and certainly more than the patron saint of real estate. So we'll look at two things. First of all, we'll ask what we know about Joseph and we'll see that compared to other significant Bible characters, we don't know a lot. Then we're going to see what we can learn from Joseph. And my goodness me, we can learn a lot from Joseph. So what we know about Joseph and what we can learn about Joseph. Okay, so what do we know about Jesus, Joseph? Well, the first thing we know is that he has no speaking part in the biblical narratives. There are no words on his mouth. The wise men speak. King Herod, the nasty King Herod, he speaks. The angels, the shepherds, Mary's relatives, they all speak, and so does Mary. But Joseph has no recorded words to his name. Now, it's not that he's mute. It's just what he said was not recorded in the Bible. And I wonder if this contributes to why he slips under the radar, because he has no speaking part. And the next thing we know from the Bible, that he was a carpenter. 
Matthew records this event. Jesus has returned to his hometown and there are skeptics in his hometown who can't believe that he's a miracle worker. And so they say this. This is the words of the skeptics on Matthew 13, verse 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Isn't this the carpenter's son? So Joseph, obviously was a carpenter. That's where we get that idea from. Though only flights of imagination turn him into the patron saint of real estate. Third thing we know about Joseph was that he is a direct descendant of King David. He was much more than a carpenter, Joseph was. He was in direct line to none other than King David. Now there are two genealogies recorded in the Gospels and Matthew's genealogy makes it clear that Joseph's line goes directly back to King David. That's the third thing we know about Joseph. The fourth thing is there is a tension about Joseph being Jesus' father. Now let's be clear, this is not a tension within the family unit. I'm not saying there was tension between Joseph and Jesus, father and son, or between Mary. No, from all indications in the Bible, theirs was a strong, healthy, nurturing family unit. Now, what I mean by tension is there's a tension between the gospel writers trying to communicate the virgin birth while Joseph's there. Can you imagine Joseph standing here and then Mary and the baby Jesus and then one of the gospel writers saying it was a virgin birth and everybody will look at Joseph, Mary and Jesus and say, what do you mean it's a virgin birth? There's Joseph. Can you see the complication that the gospel writers had when it comes to saying Jesus was born of a virgin. And so the Gospels, the four Gospels, have four different approaches to try and explain this tension. How do we communicate the virgin birth when we've got virile Joseph there? Well, Mark takes the easy option. He doesn't mention Joseph at all. There is no origin story. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus appears 30 years old right into ministry. So that's Mark's approach. John's approach is very interesting. His origin story is all about before the creation of the world. Where did Jesus come from? Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God before the beginning of the world. And so John does not talk about the birth of Jesus, but talks about his eternal divinity. In the Gospel of John, Joseph is only mentioned once in reference to being the father of Jesus. So that's John's approach. And then we have Luke's account. Now Luke spends quite a bit of time explaining sort of Mary's side of the story. And it's very clear we have the encounter with Mary and the angel and that there was a virgin birth happened. But how he explains the tension between Joseph and the virgin birth, we see in Luke chapter 3, verse 23. And what we have here is the introduction to the genealogy. And so Luke, the gospel writer, writes this. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought of Joseph. So that's how he sort of addresses the tension between the virgin birth and Joseph. And then finally, we come to Matthew, who brings the story of Joseph to the forefront. In many respects, the, the nativity story and Matthew tells us Joseph's side of the story. Luke tends to focus on Mary's side of the story. Matthew picks up on Joseph's 
side of the story. And so we see this in verse 18. Uh, this is how the birth of Jesus' Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So there he mentions Joseph in the same sentence as the virgin birth. Now, Joseph, like everyone else, assumed, when he heard the news, assumed that Mary had been sexually immoral and was about to quietly break off their engagement until an angel appeared in a dream. And basically the angel says, no, this is all from God. And we pick this up in verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. So notice again how we have Joseph and the virgin birth in the same sentence. And so Matthew's approach is to be upfront and clearly address who the father is, God, and who the father is not, Joseph. So he's very clear. And this is how he tries to resolve this tension of how to communicate the virgin birth when you've got Joseph on the scene. Perfectly understandable because the virgin birth hasn't happened before and it hasn't happened since. So that's the fourth thing we know about Joseph, how the gospel writers work hard to portray him in a way that clearly indicates that our Heavenly Father is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and not Joseph. Now, however, though he was not the father, the biological father of Jesus, he certainly fulfilled the role of father. Joseph was a, a good father. And we see this in a number of places in the gospel. We see in Matthew one twenty-five that it's Joseph that names Jesus. The name was given to him, but it was the father's role to announce to the world the name of the child. Eight days later, Joseph fulfilled what needed to be done, which is to take Jesus to the temple to be circumcised. After warning from an angel, Joseph takes the young family and flees to Egypt. There he supports his family, as a good father would, as a refugee in a foreign land. Returning to Israel, Joseph settles back into Nazareth, and being a carpenter, he teaches Jesus his trade. And this is why in Mark 6, 3, Jesus himself is referred to as a carpenter because Joseph, as a good father, taught his son his trade. And every year, Joseph, as a good father, took his family to Jerusalem for the Passover. In fact, in one year, as a 12-year-old, Jesus was with his parents, remember? And he went missing. And so Passover had finished, and so the parents gathered with all the folk, uh, families and friends that had come and made the long trip from uh, Galilee and they started on the road expecting Jesus to be among the cousins and friends and then at night that first night on the road where was Jesus so they hurried back to the city and then we know for three days they frantically searched for Jesus until they found him in the temple we see this in Luke three forty-eight. his mother said to them son why have you treated her like this your father and I have been anxiously searching for you why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Notice that the word father is used twice, but it's used to very different people, isn't it? So the father lowercase is Joseph, and the father uppercase is God. Notice how wonderfully and cleverly Luke is, is, is getting that balance right. Joseph is the stepfather, Jesus is the heavenly father. 
But gospel writers are very respectful in getting that balance right. So Joseph, he was a wonderful father. He was a great father. And the last thing we know about Joseph is that he died before Jesus' public ministry. From that account I just shared, when Jesus was 12, between then and when Jesus was 30 and started his ministry, sometime in that period, Joseph very sadly died. Now, how do we know that? There's no direct reference in the Bible. There's no verse I can point to that said Joseph died. However, there are strong clues. We'll look at uh, two of them. First of all, in Mark 3, we see that Jesus' family are concerned about the workload and how Jesus can never get a moment's rest and how the crowds are, uh, are pressing on. And so in Mark chapter 3, 21, we read, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. Then in Mark 3.31, we see then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Now, if Joseph was alive, then Joseph would have been listed there with the family. It's, it's For those that are used to reading in this sort of context and those scriptures from those days, it's quite glaring that Joseph is not mentioned when the family is. And another story, again, you may be familiar with this wonderful exchange or when Jesus is on the cross between the disciple whom he loved, which was John, and his mother. John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, this is your son. And to the disciple, this is to John, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now that would have never happened if Joseph was alive and able to support Mary. So these indications here that, sadly, Joseph never saw Jesus' ministry. So what have we learned? A quick summary. Uh, what have we learned? First of all, Joseph doesn't speak in the Bible. He has no speaking part. He was a carpenter and taught Jesus' trade. Thirdly, he was a direct descendant of David. This has huge implications for Jesus, who he is. Fourthly, there's a tension about Jesus and Joseph, that, but that the relationship with their father. In the context of the virgin birth, no tension between them as father and son, but just how do the gospel writers portray the virgin birth with Joseph there? Fifthly, Joseph fulfilled the role of father and was a wonderful stepfather. And lastly, he died before Jesus' public ministry. So that's what we know about Joseph. But what can we learn from Joseph? What are some lessons that we can take well, some lessons that we can take away with us. Now, most of what we know about Joseph comes from Matthew's gospel. Uh, you see, for Matthew, Joseph plays a major role, a much bigger role than the few references suggest. Uh, so let me explain how this works. Now, the word righteousness plays a major role in Matthew's gospel. It's a big theme that threads its way through. And Matthew's all the time asking, now, who is righteous? What does a righteous person look like? Why are the Pharisees not righteous? And if they're not righteous, who could possibly be? Indeed, when the Pharisees claim to be especially righteous, Jesus would often say, no, you're not. This is what a righteous person looks like, and he would say it. For instance, Jesus would say, a righteous person is not someone who prays in public in a way that draws attention to himself. That's not what a righteous person does. Or a righteous person does not fast in sackcloth and ashes and bring attention to himself. That's not what a righteous person does. And Jesus once said, 
A righteous person is not someone who drops his coins into the bowl, into the offering bowl to make a loud noise so everybody knows. That's not what a righteous person does. He says, no, being righteous is like being like my father. See, Matthew is clear. Joseph was a righteous man. Uh, Remember when Joseph found Mary to be pregnant and he was deeply concerned. And though engaged, he thought that she had been unfaithful. That's what he thought. And so uh, we read this in verse 19. Notice where the word righteous picks up here. Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was a righteous man. And so Matthew defines what righteousness is for the rest of this gospel here in verse 19. So what can we learn about being righteous? Well, the background is that the Old Testament law was very clear. If you were engaged, the same sexual standards were those were if you were married. So if you were engaged or if you were married and you committed adultery, if you had sex outside marriage, then what could ha- would happen is that you could be stoned. You could be killed, whether you're engaged or you're married. Now, Joseph knew this, but because he was a kind man, he went about breaking off the engagement quietly. A, so she would not face the death penalty, and B, not to bring her to public disgrace. In fact, he was so determined to be kind to Mary that it took an angel's intervention to put things right. And this is the first thing we learn about what it is to be righteous. The first thing we know, no matter what righteousness is, it is being kind. So whenever you define righteousness, make sure you have the word kindness in that definition. Where did Jesus learn this from? Jesus learned it from his Father. Now, if a righteous person is kind, they are also obedient. They are obedient to God's word. Joseph was obedient to God when the angel spoke and said, Take Mary as your wife, and he was obedient. Name the child Jesus, the angel said, and Joseph was obedient. Fly to Egypt, said the angel, and Joseph fled to Egypt. Return now, it's safe, said an angel, and Joseph obeyed. And Joseph did not just obey what the angel said, but he obeyed the written word, he obeyed the Old Testament, he obeyed the Bible, because the Bible said that Jesus needed to be circumcised on the eighth day, and Joseph was obedient. Mary needed to be purified, a rite of purification, and so Joseph made it happen. He was obedient to God's word. He travelled to the Passover each year, just as the Old Testament instructed. Joseph was obedient to the Scriptures. So for righteousness, no matter how we define righteousness, We must include obedience. Where did Jesus learn this from? He learned it from his Father. So being righteous means being both kind and obedient. So when Jesus came across the Pharisees claiming to be righteous, he would say, you're not righteous. My Father is righteous. He was both very kind and obedient. Pharisee, I see nothing of my Father in you. From when the day Jesus was born till the day Joseph died, Joseph modelled kindness and obedience to his son. So to finish, let me remind you of a familiar gospel story, and then I'll ask you a question about it. This is a story. One day, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law 
brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And they said to Jesus in front of the woman, she must die. The law says she must die. What do you say, Jesus? Remember the story, don't you? He bends down into the sand and he starts to write in the sand. And the the gospel doesn't tell us what he was writing or what he was thinking. But I think he was remembering back some 30 years or so when a righteous man could have demanded the death of his fiancée. And that man did not demand the death of his fiancée, but was both very kind and very obedient. So standing up, Jesus looks into the eyes of the woman's accusers, and do you know he cannot see one person, not one of those accusers, who is both kind and obedient. Jesus knows what a righteous man looks like, and there is none standing in front of him. So Jesus says, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. Who is without sin, cast the first stone. And we know what happened, don't we? One by one, beginning with the elders, all of the accusers slip away until finally there is just the woman left. If they will not condemn you, said Jesus, neither will I. Go and sin no more. Have you ever seen a situation where someone is both obedient and kind, like Jesus is here. I had a question. My question is this. With this story, which father did Jesus learn this from? Which father did Jesus learn that righteousness is both obedience and kindness? Was it from his heavenly father or from his stepfather? Earlier I asked, what are we to do with Joseph? I know, he, I know. One or two of you are going to slip onto Amazon, on the internet, onto Amazon this afternoon, and one or two of you are going to order a small plastic Joseph, and you're going to try and sell your property. I know it. Human nature. Get to check it out. Maybe. The rest of us, I pray, that as we dust off our nativity, Joseph, just like we did during the week, and you place them next to Mary and the baby Jesus, you will see a man who was both obedient and kind. Jesus had so much to learn from his father, and so do we. Let's pray.